are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. The Rich and the Kingdom of God As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This morning we have a good number of people who are serving for the first time. Ainsley is one of those. Willie, our beginner Bible reader, first time, our greeters. If you've thought about now, how might I step in and serve here at the Y Church? There are lots of opportunities, and we encourage you to maybe write on that connection card. I'd give this a try. So thanks, Ainsley, for reading, and Willie, so many. Few people have asked about the flooding in Germany and if that is impacting Bjorn and Esther and family there. And I did hear from Bjorn. They are certainly saturated with rain but they are not in the danger area. And so we thank God for that in the same breath as we continue to pray for those who are suffering over there. So as we dig into the text this morning, I feel compelled to let each of you know that I have found that God most often invites me to preach on or teach on a truth that he wants me to learn and to know. So as I've spent time in Mark 10 this week, God has been speaking into my heart and mind. And this story of the rich young ruler could easily be renamed, in my case, the story of the wealthy by the world's standards, now Social Security eligible, retiree. I believe this story has application to all of us, whether you consider yourself rich or poor, young or old, ruler of your home, your business, 
or your classroom. I encourage you, as we walk through this text, keep your Bibles open. By the way, as always, feel free to take one of those blue Bibles home with you, either for yourself or for giveaway. And I encourage you to mark your Bibles, underline, make notes, whether it's your own Bible or one of those blue Bibles. Jesus, the living word, reveals himself to us through his written word. And as something speaks to you, mark it so that you can come back to it for future reference or to help plant it in your heart or mind. So we begin in verse 17 of Mark 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we know from this story in Matthew that this man was young. And in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that he was a ruler of some sort. Later in Mark 10, Mark reveals that he was rich, hence the story title, The Rich Young Ruler. But not only is he rich, young, his career is on the upswing, but he is morally upright. In other words, he has it all going for him. But he comes to Jesus seeking the assurance that his resources, his accomplishments, his goodness will pay off in eternity. He needs to have this nagging insecurity about his future alleviated to be confident that he has earned his salvation. And, spoiler alert, of all those who came to Jesus, this man is the only one who went away worse than when he came. The young man comes to Jesus, kneels in deference, and greets Jesus with good teacher, good master. So at first glance, this greeting seems good. But as I read several commentaries this week, many scholars suggest that the Greek, the original language Mark would have been writing in, reveals that the young man is using exalted language, kind of idle flattery, expecting that Jesus will flatter him in return. But Jesus does not respond with flattery. Rather, in verse 18... Jesus suggests that the man think twice about who he calls good, since God alone is good. Now, Jesus wasn't denying that he was God. In fact, he was affirming it. And in my imagination, I wonder if Jesus didn't at that moment turn to his disciples with a bit of a wink. In response to the man's question, And in keeping with Jewish tradition, Jesus lists these commandments. Verse 19, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man is relieved and probably proudly claims, I have kept all these. Well, Jesus doesn't chide him or question if he really has been all that perfect. But rather, verse 21 says, 
Jesus looked at him and loved him. As I have come to know Jesus, I hear the words of the current popular car commercial. That is so like you. This is so like the Jesus I know. He looks at us in our mistaken identities, our naive pride, and he loves us. But his love is not the wishy-washy emotion that avoids hurting the man's feelings or offending him. Rather, because Jesus loves him, Jesus candidly speaks the truth and directly challenges him. Love speaks what we need to hear, even if it's not what we want to hear. See, the rich young ruler thought that if he followed all the rules and was good, he would get to heaven. Like so many in our culture today who think that if they're mostly good, if they try to be good and to do good, they will probably get into heaven. What a horrible way to spend one's life. Never knowing, always trying to be enough, to do enough, to earn enough points for that final scorecard. There are many takeaways from this story. I chose three for today, and this is the first. Keeping the rules and being good enough will never be enough. Hear it again. Keeping the rules and being good enough will never be enough. It seems to me that the guy who outwardly looked like he had it all had this sense that something was missing. And he was right. So Jesus meets the man where he's at, again, so like Jesus. If the guy is interested in what he can do, Jesus responds with four steps. Verse 21, go, sell everything, give it to the poor, come, follow me. One thing is lacking, and here it is. Steps one, two, three, four. Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I know many of you have read or are reading Tim Keller's book, Jesus the King. Keller writes, in love, the candid, challenging kind. Regarding this story, he writes, So Jesus is saying to the man in this passage, you have put your faith and trust in your wealth and accomplishments, but the effort is alienating you from God. Right now, God is your boss, but God is not your savior. When Jesus called this young man to give up his money, the man started to grieve because money was for him the center of his identity. To lose his money would have been to lose himself. See, money was this man's God, his idol. An idol can be defined as anything that takes the place of God as an object of intense devotion. 
Maybe I'm wrong, but I think money is likely the American idol. And now it's possible that some of you might be turning off that live stream or turning out the rest of this story, right? But hang with me. Remember, I said this message is as much for me as for others. I squirm a bit too. To talk about money is to poke at our sense of value, of significance, of identity. And for sure, we don't want to talk about money in the church, right? Because it just reinforces that all the church really wants is your money. So not true. Jesus knew the condition of this man's heart. By outward appearances, he had it all. He was doing all the right things. But on the inside, he loved money more than God. His possessions and his status mattered more than anything. They were his idols. But God doesn't want your money. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. God knows that apart from him, we will continue to strive for things, for position, for earthly rewards, and never be satisfied. We were created with this void that can only be filled by God himself. Jesus invites this man, Jesus invites us to trade our earthly goods for heavenly treasure. Tucked into these four steps of what Jesus invited the rich young ruler to do is a promise. Look again at verse 21. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Did you catch it? And you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus wasn't demanding a joyless existence. He was offering the man an exchange that would bring ultimate joy in eternal treasures. If money is what you're striving for, consider Ward Bream's observation. He writes, it's all monopoly money. It's dealt us. We do our best with it. And then after the game, it all goes back in the box. So true, right? We won't be taking any of our earthly wealth with us when we die. It all stays here on earth, back in the box. But our heavenly treasures, our ways and words that show love to God and to others, why they are stored up in heaven, awaiting our arrival. Do you remember the Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol? At the beginning of the story, Ebenezer Scrooge is ridiculously wealthy and as equally unkind. But after the visits of the three spirits, Ebenezer Scrooge is given a second chance at life. He is transformed, and the earthly wealth that didn't satisfy was exchanged for the joy of heavenly, eternal treasure. The rich man went away sad 
but Ebenezer Scrooge went away giddy with delight at giving. Jesus offered the rich young ruler a gift, treasure in heaven. But his fist was clenched so tightly around his money and position that he could not open up his hands to receive God's best. David Platt, in his book, The Radical Question, has much to say on the subject. He writes, This is the picture of Jesus in the Gospels. He is something, someone, worth losing everything for. And if we walk away from the Jesus of the Gospels, then we walk away from eternal treasures. For if we cling to the trinkets of this world and reject the radical invitation of Jesus, we will miss out on the infinite treasure of knowing and experiencing him. So my second takeaway from the story this morning is the cost to exchange earthly goods for heavenly treasure is high, but worth it. And I can't help but think of missionary Jim Elliott's words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Back to our story in Mark. Jesus uses the next several verses to turn the disciples' understanding of wealth on its head, starting at verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Pastor Bjorn has mentioned before that the understanding of wealth in this time was that wealth was a sign of God's pleasure, a special blessing. It was a bit like we hear the prosperity gospel today. If you sign on with Jesus and give a specified ministry this much money, you can expect health, wealth, and all things wonderful. But in typical Jesus fashion, Jesus dumbfounds the disciples by a totally counter-cultural message. First, he calls them children. The one and only time that Mark refers to to them this way, as if to remind them of what Jesus said back in Mark 10, 15, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Children generally don't understand the concept of money. At least the children I know do not, no offense to my grandchildren. But adults, again, generally do because they know how hard they have to work to make money and all the things that money can buy. So Jesus seems to be encouraging the disciples to value wealth as children. Crazy, right? He then uses this colorful picture of a camel, which was the largest animal in their setting, 
trying to fit through the super small eye of a sewing needle to reinforce the point that those who are ruled by money, the rich, cannot experience the kingdom of God. The disciples are so shocked by this then hopeless prospect of entering the kingdom of God that they ask, who then can be saved? Frederick Buchner, in his Wishful Thinking, a theological ABC, rewrites this hyperbole in a humorous modern idiom. He says, it is easier for a Mercedes to slip through the night deposit slot at your local bank than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It might be fun to see what you might create or come up with. And if you do, please send it to me. At this point, some of you might be sitting back thinking, well, I certainly don't qualify as rich. But is it possible, as David Garland suggests, that we have this imaginary riches danger line so that we can comfort ourselves in thinking that this lesson applies to someone else. That the rich are those who earn more or have more than we do. Frankly, globally speaking, if you live in these United States of America, you are rich by world statistics. Jesus is not making a blanket statement here that all wealth is bad or that everyone is to give everything they have away or that everyone needs to walk away from their careers. We know from other readings in the Gospels that at least some of Jesus' disciples had homes. We know that the women who followed Jesus, supported him with their financial resources. We know that Peter kept his fishing boat and his fishing tackle. The point is, where is your ultimate loyalty? Who or what sits on the throne of your heart? What or who is it that provides security to your life. The disciples are perplexed, and into their confusion, Jesus responds to their question, who can be saved, with verse 27. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is the crux of the good news. We cannot save ourselves. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, no matter what our financial portfolio says or our career resume, students, no matter your academic or arts achievements or sports accomplishments, nothing you do can earn your salvation or approval from God. He will not love you more. He will not love you less for all your strivings. Our only hope is what God in Christ Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus is 
teaching the disciples that salvation is beyond their power to achieve by their works. The rich man was religious, but what Jesus wanted was a relationship. A relationship that acknowledged it is all about God's grace, not our goodness or gifts or goods. Salvation does not depend on us. It comes from God who makes all things possible. In closing, Tim Keller brought to light an aspect of this story that I have never considered. I'd like to share an extended quote from his book, and it's found on pages 149-150 for those of you who are reading Jesus the King. Keller explains, Jesus, too, is a rich young man, far richer than this man can imagine. Jesus has lived in the incomprehensible glory, wealth, love, and joy of the Trinity from all eternity. And he has already left all that wealth behind. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8-9 that though Jesus Christ was rich for our sakes, he became poor. Jesus says, and I'm going into a poverty deeper than anyone has ever known. I am giving it all away. Why? For you. Now, you give away everything to follow me. I won't ask you to do anything I haven't already done. I am the ultimate rich young ruler who has given away the ultimate wealth to get you. Now you give away yours to get me. Does it move you to think about what Jesus did for you? Letting Jesus' sacrifice melt you will drain money of its importance for you. Human status will just be human status. Approval will just be approval. You can give money away or you can keep it depending on what's best at the time. The only way to counteract the power of money in your life is to see the ultimate rich young ruler who gave away everything to come after you, to rescue you, to love you. My third takeaway today is Jesus gives his all out of love for us. Will we give our all and follow him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the ultimate rich young ruler. And you come to us this morning in love, so like you, to offer to us this exchange where we can lay down our earthly strivings, our earthly goods, those things that we hold most dear, and trade them for eternal treasures. Lord, we recognize that though we may desire to do this, it's so hard. It's just so hard. 
And so we acknowledge that on our own, we just can't do this. But you, O oh God, by your grace, make all things possible. Do the impossible in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.